Meditation. 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 Depending on the quality of my mind. You know, there's good days and bad days. I mean, I feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice calm. Can't think of anything. This is Meditation in the City. The Shambhala New York Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Meditation in the City podcast, a podcast where we explore topics on Buddhist meditation and maintaining a meditation practice amidst living in a busy world. My name is Francesca, and I'm your host. The title of this episode is Manjushri's Smile, Connecting Intuition and Intellect with Prajna. In this episode, we'll explore the facets of wisdom through invoking and befriending Manjushri, the Bodhisattva of insight. Looking at the Bodhisattvas as expressions of our own being can support us in expanding our ideas of wisdom, compassion, and strength. When invoked, these beings can become helpful guides and friends on our spiritual path. Today we are joined by Lodro Gendon, Gendon is an American Buddhist monk living at Gampo Abbey in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. Gendon began his Dharma training at Shravasti Abbey under the guidance of Bhikshuni Thubten Chodron and Bhikshuni Pema Chodron at Gampo Abbey. The Meditation in the City podcast is hosted by the Shambhala Meditation Center of New York. Here's Gendon to take away the discussion. So, um... Yeah, really uh, delighted to see everybody, and um, I feel really honored and um, grateful to be offering a talk for um, sharing a little bit in particular about um, Manjushri, the Bodhisattva of wisdom. And um, I feel um, just, I think, because Bobby mentioned that sometimes um, some teachers like ask what people's sort of connection is. Like, I feel very curious about um, why or, or like how someone might come to a talk like this about Manjushri that feels like, like maybe a little bit like more of like an out there kind of topic, Dharma topic. <laughs> so maybe um, at the end, I'd love to hear that from folks why this um, particular topic feels interesting. Um, but I'd like to begin by um, just sharing a little bit about how um, I became interested in, or how I um, decided to offer a talk about Manjushri, which was that I was connecting with um, a, a, a formal practice of invoking and inviting Manjushri and um, it's a sadhana practice um, that I received um, that was written by Chigim Trumper Rinpoche. And um, it's called the Son of Wisdom. And it's a really beautiful, simple um, uh, sadhana that in particular, it frames wisdom in a way that I had never heard before. And when I um, started to do a little bit more study on my own, I found some resources um, by Chigam Trungpa Rinpoche 
that um, really helped to sort of um, uh, offer an approach to wisdom that allowed for much more intuition than I had ever um, thought possible, spontaneity, curiosity, and really helped me understand um, wisdom as not something that's sort of like akin just to intellect. And so um, that's really the inspiration for um, this exploration. As I go, um, as I sort of move along with this talk, please feel free to, um, if there's a term or, that, or something that's feeling unclear, please feel free to write it in, like write, just like you clarify that in the chat box and I'll, um, I'll see it and respond. So I think the title, I think the title of this talk is um, Manjushri's Smile, Connecting Intuition and Intellect with Prajna. So I first wanna just describe Manjushri, who is part of a pantheon of bodhisattvas, meaning um, part of a, Part of like one of the beings that we see mentioned um, in the sutras of the Buddha. We are someone who has seen some Buddhist artwork um, or like paintings or sculptures. Manjushri is um, a, a figure who's often dressed in kind of like robes and has a crown. But in particular, Manjushri holds a sword that's kind of flaming. And um, this is the sword of Prajna. And, and then in his other hand, Manjushri is often holding a, um, like a text. Pra, um, and in particular, the Prajna Paramita texts. Um, but sometimes, in his other hand, there's a few other things. There could be like a vase or there could be a wheel. And these are kind of like our um, keys into understanding the sort of like the how Manjushri kind of manifests in our life. So Manjushri is one of many different bodhisattvas and Buddhas. Um, and these help to um, almost embody some of the ideas that we find when we're studying the Dharma that can feel a little bit heady, like compassion or wisdom. Um, they, they help to embody these um, principles in a being that allows us to invoke or connect with these same principles. Um, and, and at the same time, it's important that we recognize that we're not talking about external beings necessarily. We're talking about qualities or beings of our own awakened heart. 
And so these things um, like kind of full-blown prajna, full-blown compassion, full-blown love can be um, uh, tapped into because they're already full-blown in our heart. And yes, this absolutely relates to dakinis. Dakinis are um, sort of part of the atmosphere, part of the, um, the pantheon of um, all of these different figures. Protectors are in there, even, even sort of that maybe um, uh, we can't quite name. In so this talk is about how to invoke um, Manjushri. And that's really connecting intuition and intellect. And we invoke or invite Manjushri into our life first by um, kind of recognizing where we're at on a warrior bodhisattva journey by sort of connecting with our path, our spiritual path. And um, I, I think the ground of this path is renunciation, which has maybe um, sometimes a bad rap of feeling like it's about rejecting things. But really, renunciation is about um, really, really kind of deep, fundamental love for ourselves, for ourselves. When we anchor our life, when we anchor our actions in the ground of self-love, self-empathy, self-compassion, then a spiritual path is a very natural thing to arise from. And it begins by um, kind of recognizing recognizing how we separate ourselves from that self-love, separating ourselves from our basic nature, separating ourselves from our innate wisdom, compassion, resourcefulness. Recognizing, recognizing that, recognizing how we separate is renunciation, recognizing and doing something about that. Saying, I don't want to keep doing that. And um, as we recognize that, as we start to leave room for our natural wakefulness to sort of arise and blossom, we start to connect with ourself as our wisdom as having lots of different qualities. We can see our resourcefulness. We can see our curiosity. We can see our compassion. We can see our love. And we can see our frustration. We can see our sadness. We can see our loneliness. 
we can see the whole thing. Our wisdom is not a monolith. It's not this sort of, or it's not this one thing. It's, it's actually sort of imbued with qualities and, and textures. So coming back to kind of invoking or working in particular with Manjushri, the idea of connecting with a particular bodhisattva, a particular Buddha, a particular deity, means that we're, we're leaving room for, um, uh, or we're, um, we're connecting with all of the qualities by sort of connecting with one of them uh, and invoking prajna or starting to work with prajna means that we um, we touch into our natural curiosity for the phenomenal world and um uh, this kind of comes back to um, the sword, Manjushri's sword. Because often, in order to connect with our natural curiosity, a natural openness to the phenomenal world, a natural openness to an experience uh, or, or an experiential reality, we have to cut through a fixated relationship with the world. We have to cut through a fixated relationship with the phenomenal world, with reality. We have to cut through our habitual ideas about how things are, about how we are, about how other people are. So we can cut through by connecting with prajna. And this really is the, the intellect side and the intuition side. The intellect side has a quality of sharpness. This is the intelligence, the knowing quality of prajna. And this is a real relative kind of knowing. A... Um, it's almost like we can connect with like the softness of a pillow. And we know that a pillow is going to be soft. And then the other side is the spontaneous or the more intuitive, the insightful side. That's more a kind of trust quality that says that anything we know can change. It's, it's almost like it's protecting the kind of knowing by saying, well, maybe not. It's almost like we're, it's like we're allowing, yeah, we're, we're allowing ourselves to be surprised by the phenomenal world. We're not pigeonholing pillows into being soft. Because sometimes you have a hard pillow. <laughs> so 
these don't have to contradict each other. We can, we can, we can know that, yes, usually pillows are soft. And, and we could know that, like, just because a pillow's not soft, it doesn't have to ruin our day kind of thing. <laughs> like, you know, like, <laughs> we can sort of get over a pillow not being so soft. But when it comes to people, when it comes to people we care about, when it comes to our favorite food, when it comes to the directions that we feel very clear about, when it comes to our, our internet, when it doesn't act the way that we think it should, there's a, lot, there's a, there's a chance that our, our world can become way more fixated if we don't have the intuitive, the, the trusting side of prajna as well. The side that knows that the phenomenal world can surprise us. Debbie is asking, is the intuitive part of prajna absolute? It certainly sounds like that. It certainly sounds like that. Um, but that's not something, I, I don't know if I know that. I don't know if I know that. But I think that's a good intuition. But... We could be surprised if it's not. <laughs> so one of the things that really um, I appreciate is that starts to um, land these ideas, land the ideas of prajna in an embodied way. And then we can start to feel into the idea that um, for, for me, fooling ourselves takes effort. We can almost appreciate that um, fooling ourselves is fooling ourselves is actually quite intelligent. It's it's almost like a misuse of our natural intelligence. And so um, there's a kind of boundary here of this exploration of prajna. This, this process of working with prajna actually opens air. It opens love. It opens humor. And so if it's not doing that, I think that's our kind of, that, again, that's the boundary that we need to sort of like, okay, maybe we're going into a more thought-centered relationship with prajna rather than a wisdom-centered relationship with Prajna. Meaning almost like a heady kind of Prajna, which is an oxymoron, versus an embodied Prajna. Because Manjushri is deeply associated with study and with, with intellect. But that can be just a whole nother trip. Like even reading sutras can be a whole trip if we're just using it to boost our sense of self, boost our identity, boost our almost like we're trying to pin reality down to make ourselves feel safer or something. Which is again, um, I don't want to. I don't want to. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to condemn our 
contribution to much. I don't want to make it seem like it's the bad guy. We all have confusion, but Prajna serves us a little better. <laughs> so I'll back up just a little bit and say that um, essentially we invoke Manjushri through cutting through a fixated relationship with reality. And reality is not the best word here. Like, I almost want to say phenomena. I want to say reality. I want to say experience. I wish I could combine those words into one word. Reality does, seems a little too objective. Experience seems a little too subjective. Um, but really, we're talking about cutting through a fixated relationship to an experiential reality, our, our world. So I, I don't, there's not really a word. <laughs> so you'll have to explore it for yourself, I guess. <laughs> so um, I want to conclude by saying that um, invoking Manjushri leads to this idea in Buddhism called discriminating awareness. And there's a, Trump Rinpoche describes a beautiful path of discriminating awareness where invoking Manjushri, cutting through this fixated relationship with our experiential, phenomenal, logical reality world and stuff, first leads us to a kind of a deeper understanding of human beings, of society, of, of, of the natural world, of doctrine, of customs. It, it sort of offers a almost like a, a key into relative experience, relative reality. Traditionally, it's said that you understand the six realms, but, you know, that's just another way of saying what I just said about society, the natural world, of, of suffering, of pleasure, of all of that kind of relative reality stuff. And through that, um, through the next kind of discriminating awareness that arises, is um, we can actually um, see the, the dharma in those things. We can see the karma in things. We can see the, the underlying message of those relative expressions. That then leads to a kind of intuitive understanding of the significance of things, of how things relate to to one another. And then finally, we're left with this beautiful Tibetan word called Kopa, which means confidence. Trump Rinpoche describes that as we're connecting so deeply with discriminating awareness that we're completely 
completely communicating with our own treasury. We're completely communicating with our own richness. It's almost, to me, the way I understand that is like, it's almost like we understand that we can, we, we know that we can understand all of reality by understanding ourselves. We, we can, it's almost like cosmos in a single drop, kind of like. So I, um, I wonder if there's any questions or comments or thoughts. I hope this was um, interesting or helpful or I hope it was something. <laughs> Um, I was wondering if you could uh, maybe talk a little bit more about what it means to invoke Manjushri. Um, I'm still uh, making my way through the Shambhala training level, so I'm not super deep in my path yet. So um, I was curious yes, you know, yes. what, what that looks like or, or how you might like to try that. Yeah. So I think what I was trying to suggest with this talk was that actually when we cut through, when we've had a moment of cutting through a fixated kind of fixation, let's say, Manjushri's right there. Like that's Manjushri's, that's, that's the real Manjushri. And, you know, sort of connecting to a kind of ancient lineage where um, we, we have these different Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, we have this pantheon of lineage um, beings that are want to help, you know? Sometimes it can sort of, you can just think of Manjushri, like you can think of, like the Dalai Lama said in an interview, um, it's very common in Tibetan monasteries for them to invoke Manjushri before doing study. We do that at our monastery at Camp Ohabi. Um, and uh, Manjushri's mantra, um, there, there's many ways to say it, but the essence of the mantra is the syllable D. And so, um, uh, like the Dalai Lama talks about, the first thing he does when he wakes up, he, he does a, this repeating D as much as he can with one breath. D, 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 like that. Um, and... Uh, so this d d d d d d d d d is it's sort of like it's almost like you start to associate that 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 wisdom or the prajna the intuition you start to associate that with the mantra you start to associate that with the sort of the image of manjushri and then then you can touch into the real manjushri which is that cutting through you can touch into that through seeing an image or through hearing a Does that help? Does that does that sort of make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So the Buddha is often associated with three different bodhisattvas that represent a kind of balance of these energies. Compassion, intelligence, and strength. It's um, Avalokiteshvara, Vajrapani, and Manjushri. Thank you. Thank you so much for this talk. I'm, I'm an adolescent too on my pathway and, and I'm not a Vajrayana student. I'm about to take level five of the basic Shambhala training. 
great. But I, 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 tr I trust that, I mean, I don't think we have to be Vajrayana practitioners to learn from this. It's yes. just an observation. This, this, what I'm sharing today is not a Vajrayana teaching. Um, this is, uh, I would say, yeah, deeply within the category of Mahayana teachings. And especially because these, we're talking about these bodhisattvas and, um, um, and these, are, these are sort of folks that are recognized in the sutras and things like that. So this is definitely something um, like you could read about in um, Chirgim Trungpa Rinpoche's Profound Treasury, the, the, red, the red one. All of the sort of Shambhala teachings, like all of Tibetan Buddhism is kind of in used with the view of Tantra too. So I can't say it's completely not. It's, I'm, I'm not sharing something I shouldn't. <laughs> Does anyone else have any questions? I'm wondering, I don't, I don't know if you have an answer or if I'm just trying to prove how smart I am or, or what at this point, but um, I struggle a lot with being feeling like things need to be figured out and realizing that when I'm trying to figure things out, my mind just gets super solid and judgmental. So I'm, I mean, like there are lots of really big problems going on right now. And I, I know who's wrong in most of these situations. I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty smart. I'm, I'm like definitely the smartest person. So, um, <laughs> that's one extreme but i but at the other extreme seems to be just letting it all go and i'm not sure how to find that middle yeah yeah thank you i, I think that's a, that's such an important edge to like that i think we're all walking that um you know like that kind of relaxing and kind of letting go of outcomes doesn't mean not caring. It doesn't mean not trying. It doesn't mean not investing in solutions um, to things. Um, to me, where it helps is that it helps me not invest so much in any one solution that I, I, I sort of like give away my wisdom or something like that. So like, I, I can um, actually keep trying and not be so disheartened because I failed that I can keep doing it again. I think um, uh, Jetsuma Tenzin Palmo's incredible um, nun who lived in a cave for many years, she said humor should be the seventh paramita. And I agree with her so much. It's, it's quite important. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, we invite you to leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends. Shambhala NYC also offers a variety of meditation courses for meditators of all levels.
Check out our upcoming programs at shambhalanyc.org. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.